0: Are you a business guy stuck at a stage in your career where you're looking for a sense of purpose and community? Are you a retired athlete feeling lost without your team? This is the place for you. Hi, I'm Keith Billis, and this is Live In The Lab. All right. a Little bit of weirdness in front of the camera there for anybody who's watching. because so I'm like, hey, where's the button? Where's the button? I can't get it going. How did you go viral on TikTok? You were on America's Got Talent. How much do you get paid to be on AGT? Oh, you didn't get paid. Keith and Steve here in Live In The Lab. You're a great interviewer, I love it. 48 miles, 48 hours. And not just once you ain't seen nothing Wait. yet <laughs> <laughs> and i hit 50 last time and i'm like yeah things are a little different than they were 10 years ago so trust me things are to keep you have no time for the bs that much yeah. of society seems to put on the table why is that what you're talking about is real right now there's just no bullshit here but it's just real we brought you in some marley i said joseph let's talk music for a second We said well keith oldies 60s 70s and 80s i've never talked to a sir before why are you a sir in many ways we're the same story i came from nothing You came from nothing. I think the old saying goes that if you want a trophy, you climb Everest. If you want respect, you climb K2. I've built an AI myself, and it's pretty fascinating when you can have a conversation with yourself with your own knowledge. Have you done that before? Why are we rushing to make these tools if all they're going to do is hurt humanity? Does the world need an Oppenheimer moment with AI? What a fun show. Hey, did you catch yesterday's show? I revealed my secret. (laughs) You're thinking, secret? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know how to play guitar. Here's the secret. Nah, go listen to yesterday's show. But honestly, retired pro athletes out there, stuck business guys out there, you all have a secret like I have a secret. I know what your secret is. It's the same secret that I carried for a long time. Long time. And what was that secret you're wondering? Workaholic. I lacked the work-life balance. You know what happened? I became stuck. I became stuck. Stuck in a rut. Didn't know where to go. Didn't know where to look. Didn't know what to do next. Sure, on the outside, I looked like I had it all. Had the Tesla Roadster. Had the nice house. Had everything all, all around me. The nice clothes. Everything was all looking up. But deep, deep down inside, I was broken. I was broken. And it wasn't until I discovered the business athlete lifestyle, this idea of taking athletic performance, athletic principles, wellness, nutrition, mental health, emotional health, that my business and myself turned around. It became clear to me that taking care of myself and my body and my temple was non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable, all right. It's non-negotiable in the lab. In the lab, we take care of ourselves first, not second, not third, not fourth, first. So that secret that I've carried for many years is what inspired me to look at all of you, all of you guys out there that are stuck, just retired from your sport. You're looking around, you're going, well, what do I do next? My identity was over there. We'll talk about identities. I had an identity crisis. Yeah. Started a big social media company. That was my identity. And then I sold it and it was still my identity until... We went our separate ways. and Then I struggled with that loss of identity. You know what it feels like. I know you know what it feels like. You've been working at the same organization for years, climbing the corporate ladder, working your business as an entrepreneur, trudging, stuck in quicksand. And you're thinking, what do I do next? Where's the community that I can belong to? I just left my pro team. I don't have a team anymore. My team is my wife and my kids. (laughs) Yeah, that only gets me so far. So you sit back and you wander and you ponder. And you look aimlessly. Loss of identity, loss of community, loss of purpose. Well, hey, we got a spot for you here in the lab. We got a spot for you here in the Business Athlete Performance Lab where we help business leaders, retired athletes. We help you find next. We help you Get to next. And we do that by interacting with and engaging with and telling the stories of our guests that join us here live in the lab, the business athletes that join us here in the lab to tell us their stories, to inspire us and then to inspire you. I'm excited about our first guest, our only guest today, Goulet Sheikh, former female CTO who's been bridging the gap between healthcare and technology for over 12 years. But what's the hook? She bootstrapped a company called EasyScripts and sold it for tons and tons of cash. She was voted the top healthcare software provider and she was interviewed by Melinda Gates for her work. She's a Harvard grad. I want to take a moment to welcome the first Pakistani fitness competitor, Gulay Sheikh, joining us from Chicago, Illinois. Gulay?
1: Hello. How are you? I'm good. How
0: are you? Oh, I'm excited and I'm jacked to have you here today. Hey, I gotta ask you, was your intro with Melinda Gates as exciting as the one that I we just did for you?
1: <laughs> I would say
0: yours is a lot more exciting. Oh yes. Okay, win for the business athlete performance lab today. <laughs> so I gotta tell a funny I gotta tell a funny story to the audience. So I got a wonderful email last night from Goulet saying, Hey, I'm looking forward to our chat today. Am I coming in person or are we doing this virtually? And I'm saying to myself, I know Goulet is in Chicago and I'm here in Winnipeg, Canada. I'm like, well, if you want to hop on that old United Direct, I'll see you here tomorrow afternoon. We can join you here in the lab. And I I found it humorous because, and then you said to me pre-show that there are some expectations with with hosts that you're coming personally, right?
1: That's right. there, There have been moments where we had to cancel a show last minute because there was a show in New York. It was in person. Somehow I didn't get the memo. And so I can't make it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> do you do the, the podcast circuit play. do you spend a lot of time on the podcast circuit gulay
1: i've got i've been getting a few requests over the last year or so i would say not a lot but I've, I've been getting a few i get probably about one a month or so
0: you have an interesting story to start to tell and i asked myself where do we start i think we should go back to easy scripts
1: okay and, and i
0: think it actually it what resonated for me with easy scripts and i'll just dive right into it was that was 2000 and 14 when you found it, right? Yes. And then you sold it, I believe, in, was it 18? In
1: 19.
0: In 19. So you did this in five years. Good for you. Congratulations. And then you exit it and you're now working for Salesforce. That's right. When you sold it, Goulet, I talked about my loss of identity, loss of purpose, loss of who I was when I sold my business. Did you go through that same experience?
1: Yes. Yes, I did. I I think I, I went through many, if I reflect on my life and my career and my, my past journey, there have been, whether you want to call it chapters or milestones or accomplishments after every accomplishment, it felt like there was a sense of identity loss because that's what I became. That's what I became obsessed over whether it was competing, whether it was easy scripts as easy scripts. I was this business owner. I was a CTO. I was running technology. I was in healthcare. That's what I was known for. That's what I'm known for in Chicago, actually. And so, yeah, I had a bit of a, I wouldn't say identity crisis. I may have had others (laughs) that were far worse, but it was one of those things where I was looking back and thinking, now what? How yeah. do I contribute to the greater good of healthcare, which is this was my passion. I knew my why every single day I woke up running this company. And now I'm trying to chase what my why will be.
0: While the intro was running, I'm going to be honest with you, I could see it into the green room. And I was watching you nod. Yeah, I was saying certain things. And it's and, and it really struck me because you resonate to some of the you resonate to our audience of business leaders who are looking around themselves saying, okay, what's next? Or or maybe that retired athlete going, okay, what's next? My identity was this. You really do resonate with, you are a business athlete, Goulet.
1: Yes, I, I resonated with a lot of what you said in your intro. And I do need to go back and listen to some of your episodes. But I think when you were speaking, it was, like I said, different chapters, different milestones, different accomplishments after every one. There are different feelings and emotions. And I think a lot of people probably feel mm-hmm. this way entrepreneurs, high performers, is that once they accomplish that one thing, they're thinking, what am I going to achieve next? Like my identity has been tied to achieving. And I personally spent that first year trying to let go and shed an identity and be present. And I said, maybe I just need to be present more. (laughs) Maybe I need to let go of having to achieve more and more. But that is also not my, that's not who I am. So I also now realize that my I, I thrive with having goals. I thrive with having challenges. I thrive with having a purpose to fulfill and achieving that. And I, and I actually love the journey. I actually really mm-hmm. love the journey. I think a lot of people get to a point where they want to see the end goal. But I'm at a point now in my career where I actually can see now day to day and enjoy the journey and make those connections through work.
0: I would bet you, you feel that way. I'm going to make an assumption here. You built a business, you sold it, and you, and you achieved the financial windfall of that success. And mm-hmm. whatever that money was, let's put it aside. But, but to any entrepreneur, that's, that's the goal. I want to build my business, sell it, and make a lot of cash. Yeah. Anybody who tells you differently is giving you bullshit. Yeah. So then once you achieve that, you're like, okay, now what's next? And you said it best, isn't it? Now I love the journey of every single day because I know I can do that, right, Goulet? You're like, I know I can do that. Yeah. So now I need to find joy in the purpose of every single day doing it again. Am I correct?
1: Yes, that's correct. I think also a lot, of people say, a lot of people say to me, you've achieved a lot. And I said, or you've achieved everything. Like, you could do this again. Repeat, rinse, mm. like rinse, repeat, and, and continue and, and do it again and do it again. And I said, no, I've achieved a lot of things. I haven't achieved everything <laughs> that I want to.
0: Achievements are, is a difficult word. I had a guest on yesterday, Lexi Hartman, who was fantastic. She gave me something to hang on to, which was comparison is a killer. Mm -hmm. When you compare, you just, you're killing yourself when you're comparing yourself. And when we compare ourselves to our achievements, oh my God, I wrestle with that. Yeah. I think,
1: yeah, I, I think so going to like, as a high achiever, high performer, one is a very isolating space to be in because when you look around other people, there are very few people that do want to go above and beyond or have big goals. A lot of people are okay. And I'm actually jealous of that. I'm jealous of people who are okay with just Mm. living day to day and not having goals and just being, I just can't do that. I need to have something big that I'm going to go after and sink my teeth into. However, having said that, the important thing in that is you're comparing yourself to the previous version of yourself and you're not comparing yourself to someone completely different. So for example, in my case, I'm not going to compare myself to Bill Gates or Elon Musk, I'm going to learn lessons from them, but I'm going to apply them to be the better version of myself and scrap away at my next set of goals or whatever it is that I'm trying to do. But comparing yourself to the Elon Musk, you're never going to be happy because whether you want to make $30 billion or just build a startup and exit. Okay. Same goal, build a company, exit, move on to the next company. All right. So you can compare yourself to the Elon Musk. Now you're going to compare yourself financially, relationship wise, what he's doing in the world, how he's traveling, what's important to him, what his values are. Every person comes with their own set of uh, things that you don't have insight into.
0: At what point did you recognize though, Goulet, that you needed to compare yourself to yourself? Because that that is, it's difficult for many people to recognize that. When did you have that awareness? Were you a, a young woman? Like wh- where were you in your life where you realized that, okay, I, was it in your fitness competitions? Where was that?
1: I, you know what I'd actually say with my fitness competitions, because in your, when you're competing professionally in bodybuilding and in fitness, um, although you are being compared to your competitors in terms of your physique and your aesthetics and how you look and all of that, every year that you go back and you get on stage, the whole goal is to be better than you were the year before. So there's a very fine line that yes, you are in front of other competitors, to win this trophy, get first place. However, at the end, if you come in second or you come in third, you have to look at how did I improve from last year? Was I worse than last year or what, or the previous competition? Or was I better? And can I keep doing better? And you just keep going and going until you do hit that jackpot.
0: What did you learn from that experience in your life?
1: A lot of things. I, I would say I definitely... I was a high achiever prior to competing prior to getting into health and fitness at all. And I had absolutely no idea the mental strength that is required when you are competing uh, at that level. I just thought, Oh, you work out every day, you eat whatever meals you're prescribed to eat and that's it. And life goes on, but that is not how (laughs) it works. It is pretty much 90% of your day. And at some point you are out of fuel to push yourself, and it is all mental strength. It is all discipline. It is all about the science of what you're trying to achieve and the outcomes. And I was able to look at that and say, I'm able to prescribe, like I'm not genetically gifted in any way whatsoever, but yet I was still able to take a a prescribed formula and scientifically maneuver it according to my my own outcomes my own my own measurements and then keep tweaking it and changing it and then pushing harder and just continuing on the course so sometimes that took a year sometimes it took two years sometimes it took six months sometimes it took three months I just I never knew when that outcome was going to actually occur It's the same thing in business you have to keep tweaking and it's at some point it becomes all mental strength. And I think with entrepreneurship, a lot of people, what they don't hear, it's a very glamorized, right? Mm -hmm. So people hear about the success stories, but what people don't hear is I lived in poverty for a very long time when I was running my startup, it Mm -hmm. wasn't something that I had a bunch of cash laid out. I was chipping away, plugging away, but I still believed, and I still kept going. And in some, sometimes I look back and I think some of that was insanity. Because if I was a logical, rational person, (laughs) looking at that time, I thought I have no money. I have no way to support myself. This business could fail. It's not a sexy business, to be honest. But I just believed in it. I kept tweaking. I just kept going at it. And I use the the same skills that I've learned in bodybuilding to apply to my business. And eventually, we made it through. Eventually, we got to achievements we wanted to go to. We grew our customers, we grew our company, we grew employees, we became recognized by our competitors, by large competitors across the U.S. That in itself, I feel was a, an achievement.
0: Goulet, you believe in yourself?
1: I think so. I have days where I question, do I need to tweak my beliefs? But I think I do believe in myself. I.
0: What kept you going in those impoverished moments where you're feeding yourself craft dinner and whatever source of protein you can find Let, like, like you, you had some, was it your parents? Where, where did you, where did, what drove this Goulet to, to this achievement?
1: Oh, you're asking some very deep questions.
0: Oh, here in the lab.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I'm Canadian mm-hmm. born and raised. I moved to the U S in 2012 and when I started the company There was a lot of reluctance. I was married also at the time. And so a lot of people around me were very reluctant about the outcome of the company and what it would require and if it would be successful or what it would not, if it wouldn't be. I just, I think the the biggest thing that really drove me was I just could not comprehend the financial burden that patients face in the United States. And I just couldn't. And I think coming from a family with my father being sick from, when I was a very young age, he didn't put us into poverty, but we were already in poverty and, but that wasn't the contributing factor to get out of poverty. So, you know, and so what I mean by that is I had equal rights to education, I had equal opportunities to education and we had equal access to healthcare. And despite of my, 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 where I was born and how, and what environment I was born in, Coming to the U.S., it was just shocking to me that for a first world country that patients have to make decisions based on whether they're going to put food on the table for their families and whether they can get their diabetes medication or their heart medication or whatever it is. Chronic disease is at an all-time high in the United States. I just couldn't comprehend. And I said, this problem has to be solved. That these, like, these patients need access and it is, it is accessible. <laughs> So it, is, it was just beyond my comprehension of why we couldn't do it. And so that really was my why, to be perfectly frank. It, w- it really, truly was my why. Now, the healthcare system is very fragmented in the U.S. There's a lot of problems, but there's a lot of opportunities for innovation and fixing those problems, too. So I think that's what was really just driving me, is I couldn't imagine a child not being able to get education just because they were born in this situation with their parents being sick or, God forbid getting sick along the way.
0: Gula, you said there was reluctance. You said when you moved down to the US and you were about to start the business, there was reluctance. Who was the reluctance from? Were people not believing in you for who you were and what you were about to do?
1: No, I think there was just reluctance all around. I don't, I don't think it had to do, I don't know if it had to do with me personally. I didn't take it as if it was me personally. I think it was just the environment of entrepreneurship and startups. Like, Did
0: people know, take like, you seriously, Gula? Yes and no. I'm going her- to make an assumption here. Oh, fitness model, Harvard grad, fitness model, aesthetically. And now she's going to come out and solve the world and build this prescription company. Who is she? Because I'm also going to make the assumption that, that industry is probably dominated by we know we know who. Goulet Shake moves onto the scene. And I have to assume there was a lot of naysayers.
1: Oh, there was, yes, a thousand percent naysayers. Aside from gender, aside from race, aside from anything else, mm-hmm. the biggest thing is startups only 99 sorry one percent of startups succeed to some degree and 99 percent of them fail so people don't hear about the failures and in some cases if you're bootstrapping we we did eventually get vc fundings we did get to a certain over a certain hump at some point but that was in itself uh very difficult and that was had its own challenges Aside from all that, take that out of the equation. And then you come in and yes, I'm a female, but I have been in the tech sector longer than I've been a fitness competitor mm-hmm. and I know my stuff mm-hmm. and I still faced, I still faced naysayers and reluctance around the business, the concept, the foresight. But honestly, I speak to other startup owners that are the perfect, you would say the perfect ideal situation, male, male. <laughs> White have a certain track record and they also face challenges. Mm-hmm. So I I didn't take it personally that it was unless someone said that to me. That yeah, mm-hmm. and I've had a couple of people that came in as contractors that said, Oh, you're you're a woman and why are you working so hard? You should stay home and just raise your kids and you're married, let your husband do all the hard work. And I said, That's not me. Mm-hmm. So I have had those instances too, but I've never once had a VC say to me that, maybe they thought it, I don't know, but I've never had a VC say to me that you can't do this because you're a woman.
0: So then you went on to found DC Scripts mm-hmm. and it was a fast ride, five years from, and I'm you're nodding going, yeah, it didn't seem fast at the time, but no. it was fast.
1: Yeah. When I look back at it, I think, Oh, was it only five years? I thought it was seven or nine years. It it felt like a really long time that I was doing it. Yeah. So yes, we were, we, I think the first year that we started, I found out I think three or four months in that I was pregnant. And so I thought, okay, my initial thought was, all right, I got this. What I'll do is I will just work 18 hours or 20 hours a day until the delay, until the day I deliver.
0: Of course you did. did. I think we need a soundbite on that one there, producer Roland. Of course she thought that.
1: So I thought, okay, I said, okay, all right, I got this. I'm pregnant. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to put in every single thing, every ounce of energy and time I have until I deliver. And I'm going to set myself up so that when I deliver, I can take a month or two months off and we'll be good because we'll have a few clients under our belt, we'll start have money rolling in and then I can slowly ease back into it and then continue and figure it out.
0: I'm laughing because I can see where this is going. Keep yeah, going.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is not what happened. We did, we onboarded our first customer when I was in labor. I was in labor on the phone with tech support <laughs> oh onboarding our first customer. For, yeah.
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> I was on the way, I had a VC meeting to pitch our company on the way to the hospital, they didn't know I was on the way to the hospital. But I got a call saying investors want to meet. I said, "Okay, I'm. I'll be there in 20 minutes."
0: Might not be there in 20 minutes.
1: And I remember them saying, "They said you look. It's it's, it's awkward, right? You don't want to say something. Well, sure. You don't want to say something like I was obviously very pregnant." And the investors said, "You look very pregnant. When's your due date?" I said, "Oh, it's like right now." I was on the way to the hospital, but you guys wanted to meet, so I stopped by.
0: (laughs) That says a lot about you and who that investor was investing in, clearly.
1: We did not get that investment. It's fine. We did not get that investment, but I didn't see it any, any different. Like When I was in that space, in our incubator, in healthcare, there were women, there were men. Everyone was all in. It didn't even occur to me that I was pregnant and it's a roadblock or a potential roadblock or someone may be thinking it's a roadblock. I just, I was on a trajectory that had to occur.
0: So let's keep going down the path of the business. So you had your first child as as you were starting the business. Mm
1: -hmm. Did
0: you have any more during the five years?
1: Just one, one and done.
0: (laughs) One and done. Okay. So child's done, you're building the business, take me through years four to five. And then second part of that question Goulet is, did you guys build it to plan to sell it?
1: We, yes, that's, I think that's the ideal of every entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. You build it to sell it. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But when you're on, when you're in that race, you don't know if the sale will happen. Mm -hmm. So I was building it ultimately to sell it. However, along the way, as I was thinking, I was also thinking that if I'm going to be building this, I need to be aware that we may not have a sale, but I'm okay running this business for the next 20 years as well. And so that's what kept me going. I think there were times where I thought, should we have pivoted? Should we have shut down the company earlier? Should we have, you know, taken different pathways? And in that time, I just loved that business so much. And I loved what we were delivering. And I really just enjoyed every single minute working on it. So in my mind, realistically, I was thinking, even if we don't have a sale, I will be okay running this for the next 20 years.
0: How did you know it was time to sell Goulet? Did, did somebody come knock on your door? Did you guys go out looking for a sale? I know in my case, we went out and just said, hey, we're, who's interested? All we needed is two people to say who we're interested and then off you go. What happened in your case, Goulet?
1: It was a combination of two things. We had a couple people knocking on our doors. Mm-hmm. And then at the time, it was also, we had raised funding. I think it was in year four. Mm-hmm. We had raised venture capital. And at that point we were growing, we grew really fast that year that we grew, that we achieved the capital. And so at that point, like when you grow very fast, it's, a, it's a tricky, it's a tricky and slippery slope because you can grow really fast and you can run out of funding. And so you have to keep, you have to, you're never stop fundraising, especially I think when you are in that position of once you have VC capital and you've grown. So we were doing both. We were growing really fast but we were also fundraising. Then we were getting a couple of knocks on the door. And then we had a couple of different opportunities. One was a merger and acquisition opportunity, which was very exciting that fell through. And then we had a couple of other people interested in buying. And so then when we got to a point, we said, if we sell, this is a really great achievement. The company will continue and it helps us to not have to raise any more capital. And then we can just, we can move on. We did, we build what we need to build. If we're going to Uh, scale it any further. It would really just be the number of clients that were scaling, but the technology was more or less, I would say 90% there. So there was really only maybe a 10% more opportunity to expand on it, or maybe there was more down the road. But at that time, looking into the future, we thought this is, if we're going to sell, this is probably a good time to do it.
0: Guli, you bootstrapped to begin though. Am I correct? That's right. Yes. That's correct. At at what point did, and do you have partners?
1: I did. I had a co-founder.
0: So at well, what point did you both sit down and say, we need to go raise money? We're done funding this. Ourselves.
1: Well, we were trying to raise money from, the, from day one. You were. It's, it's not like we were not trying to raise money. We were trying to raise wow. money from day one, but we were bootstrapping it. So I think in that, at that time, I thought in order for me to raise money and for this to be achievable, we'll put an initial certain thousands of dollars to get it to a certain proof of concept, get it to market, get some customers on board. And then slowly grow it from there. And but healthcare technology costs a lot of money. So we, I did not anticipate first. Firstly, going in my new startup, I did not uh, anticipate the cost of healthcare initially. So we ended up spending probably more than I initially anticipated. And then yeah, so we were trying to we were trying to fundraise right from the get go.
0: Take me to that moment. The moment. When you saw the number on the piece of paper, when, when, when your agent or your lawyer said, Goulet, here's what they're offering you for your business.
1: Yeah, it was exciting. There was a couple moments because we, there were a couple of times in the past, we had raised some seed capital pre-series A and you, you never know, right? So you get that number and he says, Oh, this is so exciting. This is great. Like things are going to change now. And then I had to remind myself, I like, okay, wait, like the money's not in the bank yet. Papers haven't been signed. We still have to go through due diligence. Let's go through all that. So let's not get too excited. So I had to bring myself down to reality, but yes, it was exciting. I remember exactly where it was. It was at the airport hotel by O'Hare. We were meeting in a conference room and we were discussing it and we knew we nailed it and we knew we had the funding, but I was trying to like bring myself down to reality and say, okay, I still don't know if it's actually going to happen.
0: I find during those moments, and I think they refer to them as renaissance moments where you're living through it, but you really can't understand it or have awareness upon it until you reflect upon it. So while you were going through those times, eating at that restaurant or sitting in the boardroom, they're meaningless places until you reflect upon the history of the moment. And you're like, oh, yes, we had dinner at that restaurant when we talked about this and signed off on the agreement and my life changed. You're right.
1: right. You're right there, there. I remember exactly where I was when I got my first customer check.
0: Yes. I, exactly.
1: Yes. Like we almost framed it, that check. And I know it wasn't a lot of money. I think it was something like 2000 or $3,000. Yes. It wasn't a lot. Yes. Yes. But it was, it felt, okay, someone believes in us. This is just a, just. this is the beginning.
0: I bring that up because I think to our audience and even to yourself and myself, reflecting upon those moments are healthy because they're inspiring they're exciting they get the juices flowing again right so if you're stuck or if you're thinking i've been playing this pro career my whole life and now i don't know what to do next think about that first contract you signed think about that first dinner you had with your kids or your wife or your friends or your buddies or whatever you did and you blew some cash
1: yeah yeah no you're
0: right i yes i i know because we move so fast hey I I move as fast as anybody. It's taking me. It took me climbing Kilimanjaro to put this pole wrist thing on my in 2019 to slow down.
1: Oh wow! Congratulations on that. That's a huge accomplishment.
0: Thank you. Yes, but no. The bigger accomplishment was learning how to slow down. Never mind yeah. climbing the mountain, but it was learning. And I use mountains to. I use mountains as a metaphor to to document just my process through life. I, I was going through some personal issues. I went through divorce, and as I climbed a mountain rarely do reflect and say, ah, I wish I didn't climb that mountain or I want to go back. I preferred being on the other side of the mountain. We never say that as human beings. Yeah. Yeah. Right? You're right. So, so to me the mountain is a wonderful metaphor for moving past yesterday.
1: And in your case, quite literally. Yeah. Yes,
0: ab- absolutely. Absolutely. So Poli was a helpful thing to slow down and just bring us back to a moment.
1: So when you slow down, did you, did you feel anxiety? Do you feel like I need to do something like I need to quicken the pace? I should be doing something else? Or are you like, what is that? What does that feel like slowing down?
0: It's a great question. Thank you for asking me that. Slowing (laughs) down means to me just having more awareness, caring less. And I think it comes with age as well, I would suspect, right? Mm -hmm. I haven't been 51 before. So what I do know is that I can reflect upon how I felt when I was 41. I think I have that awareness now the last 10 years, right? What I've been through my experiences. And you tend to care less about mundane things that are like that maybe used to drive me nuts before. I I think we're, I'm going to suspect we're probably wired very similarly. Mm -hmm. And there's things that I can guarantee you, Gula used to drive me nuts before that I'm like, ah, really, like really in the grand scheme of it. So it's just gotta reflect on just slowly slow down.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And it's amazing how when you and this is what's literal about walking, because again, let's use fitness metaphor and, and, and an athletic metaphor. And let's use the metaphor of a journey. It's wonderful what happens as human beings when you can just literally put one foot in front of the other. Yeah, you don't measure it in speed, we measure it in the ability to do it.
1: And I think it's also like now a lot of people are speaking about mindfulness and yes. being aware and being present. And there's still moments. I, I'm a bike rider. I ride my bike in yeah. the summers around, along the lake. And I remember one day, one of my friends, she has a boat. And so she said, why don't you meet me at the dock and we'll go for a walk. She's been walking a lot. She's like, let's go for a, a five or six mile walk. And I said, okay. So then I met her at her dock. We started walking. We started walking. And that is a bike path that I take every day. And I like bike through regularly, but I've never walked it. (laughs) So suddenly I love bike riding. I just absolutely feel so great in that moment when I'm bike riding, I feel so present. I feel the air in my face and I just feel great. And anyways, I could go on and on. In that walk, we saw like this fish swimming around in the water that I'd never noticed these shrubs that we walk through had these beautiful flowers. And I even said to her, I said, I bike through this for the last three years. I've been biking through here at least a hundred times. I have never noticed all of these things I just saw now in this walk with you.
0: The magic of slowing down, right? Gula? The magic.
1: And that's exactly. And that's what it goes to the metaphor of slowing down is okay. I'm not a big walker. I like a bit more high speed. However, that walk is necessary to appreciate what is around you and what you're missing out on as you're just as you're just speeding through life.
0: Yes, that's exactly correct. So let's speed forward. Let's speed forward to the end. So you sold the business? Yes. Did you take time off after that? You said you have a child, a boy a girl?
1: I do. I have a child, I have a boy, and so my initial plan was I was hoping to have a one-year sabbatical. Okay. I sold the company. I, I believe it was something like August or September. I was still working on it because I was passing on Mm-hmm. Um, some of the information and doing some transition work. And uh, I thought, you know what, I'm going to just take some time off. I'm going to focus on my son. I was also going through a divorce at the time. And so I thought I just, I've never really taken time off since I was 13 years old from work. I've always just worked and maybe this is a good time. And I had a bit of mom guilt with my son. Like I didn't spend a lot of time with him. I was back at work within two weeks of giving birth and so there was a bit of, I want to spend more time with my son and an opportunity came up at Salesforce and it was just an opportunity I just could not pass up on. Mm-hmm. And I did wait. I, I think I waited about six months, probably about, yeah, about, it was probably about five or six months before mm-hmm. I ended up joining. And I'm actually very grateful and so thankful that I did because one COVID hit. Yes. And so I would not have been able to really enjoy and do the things I was thinking of doing anyways. Mm-hmm. And plus, I think having something to focus on with my work mm-hmm. was life-saving to me. It was, I had something, I think after selling my company, going from being on a high trajectory to doing absolutely nothing, I think it would have been, I think it would have killed me. So looking, having something to look forward to and apply myself and be engaged and be focused was actually really good for me.
0: Okay, so now here's the disappointing part of our conversation. So you <laughs> tell me, you go from being a fitness competitor, a high-strung entrepreneur, you go, and now you work for corporate America. Yes. <laughs> I say it tongue in cheek, of course, because good for you. How has that worked out for you, though? Now here's the serious question: because if you're, because now you're learning how to work in that environment, and let's be frank, it's not for everyone. How have you managed entrepreneurial goulay? right, drive, 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 Goulet, to I'm now working for a corporation that is going to have my back as long as I take care of things and we go forward together. I'm, I'm going I'm to enjoy, I'm going to have a great time here. And I'm sure Salesforce is a wonderful company to work for. I'm probably, if I could just, Confess to you, I'm probably customer number two or three from them. Back when Salesforce was selling the no no software stuff, nerdy tech guy here signed up, built a CRM there. I don't really exist there anymore, but I will, and I'll actually tell you a quick story too, that when we sold our company, one of the things that we were applauded for was the structure in our data. Why? Because on day one, I was like, no, we're we're having a virtual business. We don't need filing cabinets. We should put everything into the cloud inside of Salesforce. Yes, so here's a pitch for Salesforce, right? So when we sold the business during the due diligence phase and how much fun was that Yeah. during due diligence, they're like, Oh, you guys are really organized and structured with your data. I'm like, yeah, that's just how it should be. And they just, it made diligence really easy to yeah. it because that was all done.
1: And you didn't build something from scratch. I think that's the fine line when you're trying to be scrappy in a business, you're trying yes. to see costs on one hand, but what is that costing you on the long run yes. you yes. know and what are the risks and security issues that you are introducing by trying to save a couple of dollars or a couple, whatever it is a couple of dollars a couple yes. hundred dollars thousands of dollars whatever it is right? yes i'll go back to your question so, yes. so what
0: is it like working for corporation from entrepreneurial
1: so i'm i am actually originally a corporate i come from corporate okay i worked at eds i worked at hewlett-packard and when I left Hewlett Packard, moved to the US, I thought, oh, I got this. I could build a startup. I worked in corporate for 15 years. Like this is this is no brainer. This is easy. Right. And you no, know, it was a whole other ball game. So I think one of the things for me at least was when I was in corporate, I still had a bit of that entrepreneur. I don't know where that came from, but I still had a bit of that business entrepreneurial side to me. And I was able to leverage that when I was working in corporate. When I was in as an startup owner and as an entrepreneur, obviously it was all kinds of different surprises about what I did not know. And going back to corporate, I wouldn't say it was a easy shift. I think I just had a new perspective of like, I I just had a new perspective and a new appreciation. I had a new appreciation for corporate actually to be Mm -hmm. perfectly frank. Mm -hmm. The appreciation for, appreciation for corporate comes from when I was in a startup I was constantly pitching to investors to raise funds and to validate our business on a regular basis alongside running my IT team, alongside working with marketing, alongside working with sales, alongside working with operations. So that was a constant. I was flipping through five to 10 different hats a day on any given day. And coming into corporate, I had a better appreciation for all of the work that was already laid out for me. And now what I had to do is I just had to be an expert in my field and give my all in that one space and focus on the customer. And I really do enjoy that. I do enjoy being able to focus on the customer. There were times that Easy Scripts I'm very customer focused, but I had to focus on the business. I had to mm. focus on the stakeholders. I had to focus on the sponsors. I had to focus on everyone else to run the business as opposed to What is going to make this customer happier and how are we going to solve their problems?
0: Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. So I have a better appreciation for corporate now.
0: That's great. That's great. So you mentioned through your journey, you went through the experience of divorce as I have. Yes. Our audience, my audience, there will be members in that audience that have experienced it, are going through it, are considering it. Are looking in their own mirror asking questions to themselves about it would you share any of your experience Goulet with the audience that that might not know what to be expecting or or however you'd like to talk about that
1: yeah divorce is tricky because I think everyone's experience is very different and I would say this as a entrepreneur I was very lucky to have a spouse because he did carry the burden of that, that financial burden mostly. And I think for me, my biggest struggle during that startup was, I said, I, I was living in poverty because I wasn't making any money and I was mm-hmm. investing into the business and like, obviously my time and time away from my relationship and, and my son and all of that. Like, those are all sacrifices that everyone makes in a startup. Mm-hmm. And so the journey of divorce, I mean, that, that timing happened around about a year before I was selling and, and and that was tough. Like you have something specific to ask or it's tough. There, there is, I don't, nothing prepares you for divorce. No, I feel like it's easier to prepare for marriage Mm -hmm. because when you're in love and you're happy and everything is good, you can, you you don't, you're distracted from potential issues, Mm -hmm. but in divorce, you can't do that. In divorce, you have to face all of the issues Mm -hmm. and you have to look at yourself. You have to really look deeply. I think if there's one thing that, That aside from even my fitness competing and my business, what really had what had me looking deeply in myself was really my marriage was my divorce. The divorce had me really, I would say that's probably rock bottom Mm -hmm. that anyone hits is that you have to really look at yourself from childhood and every single decision you've made along the way until that moment as to how you got there. Because obviously nobody expects when you're getting married that you're going to get divorced, right? You think that this is it and and this is your life partner and, and, and there's freedom in that.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I learned so much both selling my business and then I learned so much going through my divorce. Yeah. I learned empathy. I learned a great deal of self-awareness. And I'm really glad you raised that because if you don't have that self-awareness through those moments of divorce, then you got to look further than a mirror, frankly.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's... Yeah, at least for me, I don't think it would have been possible for me to get through the divorce without... And even now, I've been divorced over two years, Mm -hmm. almost two and a half years now. And there are even moments now I I look back and I think of what could I have done differently? What could I have shielded? And I thought I was doing everything right in the moment based on the information I had. And But there was more work to be done, to be quite Mm -hmm.
0: frank. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's move from that to you today. Mm-hmm. So we, we started the show with, it's clear you're a business athlete. You were nodding through the intro and you started, your part, big part of your journey was fitness and, and it sounds like it still is fitness. You ride bikes and so forth. Mm-hmm. What, what do you do to keep yourself active, to keep yourself, what's the life of a business athlete of Goulet Shake today?
1: So very similar to before. It's just goals vary and change. The last year, so I actually competed two years ago
0: Oh, good um, for you! Yeah,
1: and so I went back and I said, "I was, it was." I think that was part of my identity was that when I sold a company, I was divorced. It was COVID. Yeah, <laughs> everyone was eating and drinking at home, and for me, I was like, "I need to find myself again." Good for you. So I decided to compete again, and I won uh, my pro card at that point at the age of forty-five. So it was very, so it it was very. I think it was that. I think that that there was a little bit of healing that happened in that journey because going through all of those things of the divorce and having a child at home and homeschooling and trying to give myself in my work. The time that I was spent, I got a Peloton at home and then I was working out before my son would wake up. So I got like weights at home and everything. So I'd wake up at four 30 or five, try to work out before he woke up. And, and then anyway, so I got through that. And then I think after that, it was again, a what now, and I gave myself a year off to be present and to really think through what I want in every aspect of my life. What do I want in my career? What do I want to be as a mom? What do I want to do uh, for myself and my relationships and my community? And a lot of the things that you said in the intro kind of hit home. And so I made a list of all of the areas of my life, like my health, my financial goals, my career goals, my, my son, and all the relationships that I have, like, where do I want to be a year from now, five years from now and whatnot. And then I just started slowly like tackling them and I have weekly, I have Three-month three, three month plan, one-year plan, and then I try to tackle things one week at a time.
0: My goal every single day when I do this show, we do the show live, Monday to Friday, noon central time, you're on central time like I am,
1: uh-huh.
0: is to learn something from every single guest. And you just taught me something these over the last 90 seconds.
1: What did I teach you?
0: The fact that you have sat back and you've written down, and it, it maybe seems so simple to you, but just your relations, the the non work task things, the things that are perhaps more important than the work things, right? And you you've written them down, you're wrapping goals around them, Yes. So goals for your son, goals for your etc. So that's, that's something I take away from today is that I need to do a better job of just that, which is holding myself accountable to maybe more of my relationships around me.
1: Yeah, there is a lot of power in writing. Yes. And whether it is you're journaling or you're just writing down ideas, and I get asked often, how do you come up with business ideas? And I said, there are times I'm not thinking about business ideas. I'm just thinking of career ideas, or I'm just thinking, mm-hmm. and I just give myself a starting point. I say, where do I want to be in work? And I just start writing down, and I, and then somehow magic happens. As I'm writing down all these things, whether they're in my conscious or subconscious mind, start to pour onto the paper, and it's almost like an unload of extra stuff. And then from there, I can dissect and prioritize what is meaningful to me right now, and what is going to be meaningful to me in a year. And that's where I go, go with. And sometimes it's big things. Like sometimes it's just my son. Like Mm -hmm. last year, it was just my son. My son had a couple health stuff that he he was going through. And I said, you know what, I just want to be uh, a good mom. And what does that take? And I just want to do whatever I can to invest in him so that he is set up for success in the future. And I wrote out all the things that I could do to be better. And you know what? 80% of that ended up being taking care of myself. Yes. Taking care of my health, taking care of my mental health, being there for him, showing up when he needed me, listening to him, talking to him, and learning how to have conversations with a child and listening to them and listening to the space in between, enjoying the laughter. And so there was a lot. But I think it's just we go through waves.
0: I think you're going. I think you're going slower some days than you think. I think you're doing. It sounds to me like you're doing a wonderful job of slowing down.
1: It's intentional. If I'm slowing down, it's a very deliberate, intentional. Because when I rise, I want to go after a lot of yes, yeah. And it's so when I slow down, it's an intentional. I have to slow down. And I've noticed that actually, even with my customers too. Sometimes I'm thinking, all right, what is the end goal here? And I have to pull myself back and say, okay, there is a moment here with the customer that they need to unload or offload, or they have a pain point and it's just not coming through. So I really just slow down and listen very intently.
0: Gulay, is there anything you'd like to wrap up the show with today? Anything I didn't ask you you wanted to talk about, or anything you want to throw on the table to plug? Any personal projects? We talked for a few minutes about Salesforce, and we got your employer out there. Yeah. Is there, <laughs> is there anything anything else you want to add to the show before we say goodbye?
1: No, this was a really fun show. I really enjoyed the conversation, and
0: so we're doing yeah, like, things a little differently. I'm trying to make it a little entertaining and authentic and raw. And you've done a lot of shows. Is this something that is is different on the circuit?
1: It is. You went a little deep. You went deep with a few, uh, a few things with with the divorce and the startup and different aspects. So I really enjoyed it.
0: Thank you. It I have these things
1: to think about.
0: I appreciate that. I, that's what we're trying to do here. That's what we're trying to do. And I would love. It's funny because I want to have every single guest back here on the show, but I want to have you back here because. Thank you. you I want to be back. You are absolutely a business athlete. I I really am intrigued by your story because you cover all facets of it. You've been the entrepreneur. You've started the business. You sold it. You now work for corporate America. You've. You've been through divorce and all those experiences. You start, you bootstrapped a company. You've been in a fitness competition. And I know of all of that, that world. I've always said this to my kids every great story deserves to be told. And I find great stories every time I meet these wonderful guests every single day. So thank you for joining me here today.
1: Thank you for having me. I really
0: enjoyed it. Awesome. So I'm just going to put you into the holding room for a second. I think I'm going to look at this camera here if the battery's still on. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. I know I did. I thought it was an exceptional conversation with Goulet Shake. Joining us from Chicago. We talked, if you're just, if you're jumping in late in the show, we'll rewind to the beginning because we went the whole story arc. Fitness professional, entrepreneur, bootstrapped from nothing, sold it for cash, had a personal journey along the way, and then ends up working for... Salesforce. I'm Keith. I'm here I'm live in the lab. We're closing up today's show. It's Tuesday. We're coming in back tomorrow, Wednesday, at noon central time, live in the lab, live in the Business Athlete Performance Lab. I'm out of here for today. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show.